Welcome to the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Jesus, anointed one and chosen one, help us to pay attention to you as we see your life revealed as the living word. We pray in your name, amen. Well, last week, as we concluded the season of, of Christmas, looking at Epiphany, uh, we also wrapped up our investigations into the gospel accounts of Jesus as a baby, as an infant, and also as a toddler. We saw that after Jesus' uh, rather inauspicious birth in humble settings, being placed in a manger after he was born, that his parents uh, settled temporarily there in Bethlehem. And early on, his family made the journey to Jerusalem to dedicate the boy, the baby Jesus, at the temple. And while his family was there, they encountered Simeon and Anna, who had amazing things to say about this child, and who each broke out in hymns of praise to God. And then back in Bethlehem, when Jesus was about two years old, wise men from the east came to present him costly gifts, to name him king of the Jews, and to worship him. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, we are actually given one account that breaks what would otherwise be 28 years of absolute silence. Because in the Gospels, from uh, Jesus being age two with the visit of the wise men until he was about age 30 when he shows up on the banks of the Jordan River to be baptized by his relative John, we're given almost nothing. But Luke 2 provides a rare exception of Jesus uh, as an adolescent, and it's a fascinating story. Luke tells us that every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and people. I really love this passage, and I have so many questions about it. I wish Luke would tell us more, because I wonder, what, how did this all work? Did Jesus secretly slip away from the group of family and friends so that he could remain back in the temple in Jerusalem? And what was that search like as his parents went back 
How many places did they look? Where were all the wrong places they checked? And how did they come to finally look in the temple? And was Jesus assuming that his parents would know what was going on, that they would come and collect them at the right time and they would understand where he would be? And what exactly did Jesus say that amazed the teachers there and that astonished his parents? There's so much that Luke doesn't provide in way of answer in this short episode, but there is a lot that's, that's revealed for us. In this one scene we're given of Jesus as a tween on the age of adulthood, or on the edge of adulthood, we see that Jesus is growing, he's learning, he's engaging with the scriptures and with the people of God, and he's already beginning to model a way of kingdom living for anyone who's willing to stop and to listen to him and to watch what he's doing. At age 12, Jesus would have been on the cusp of becoming uh, what the Jews referred to as a son of the covenant, kind of taking his rightful place uh, in the Jewish faith, to take his place as an adult, to leave childhood behind, and to claim his faith as his own. His parents would have been exposing him to all the customs and traditions of their faith, including annual trips like this one to Jerusalem. You might think of this time in Jesus' life as being close to kind of the, the place and the age and, and stage development uh, that modern young Jews, uh, boys and girls, would, would go through as they approach their bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs. You might think of it a bit similar to our own practice of confirmation here at Bethany. In Jesus' time, faithful Jews were supposed to make three pilgrimages annually to Jerusalem to celebrate the festivals of Passover, Pentecost, and tabernacles. But it wasn't uncommon for uh, limitations of long distance and modest or meager resources uh, to prevent families from doing anything uh, other than prioritizing an annual trip to Jerusalem for the Passover. And it seems likely that Jesus was growing up in this kind of family that emphasized the Passover celebration. And once the Passover festival was over this year that we read about, Jesus' family packs up their things, and they get ready for the return journey to Nazareth. It was a journey of about 100 miles. They would have expected to take about five to seven days for that journey. But at the end of the first day's travels, Jesus turns up missing. Now, you might wonder, well, like, what kind of parents are these? What's, what's going on here? But in that cultural context, a 12-year-old boy like Jesus could easily have been traveling either with the women and children or with the men. He was kind of in this in-between place. And so it's likely that each parent in that traveling family caravan assumed he was with the other. But when Mary and Joseph uh, reconnected that night, they discovered this was definitely not the case, that Jesus was missing. And I've tried to put myself in the sandals of Mary and Joseph in that moment, a 12-year-old son missing gone. They keep looking in other people's tents, asking friends, asking relatives, and there's just no sign of him. I can only imagine the anxiety. And I actually think it was probably even worse, even harder for them as parents who had raised this boy for 12 years who never did anything wrong, who never disobeyed, who never got into trouble. So as Jesus was missing, it wasn't like they could assume, oh, he's just up to mischief again. There he goes. They assumed that 
uh, Jesus, since he didn't do anything bad, must have had something bad happen to him. So they were quite alarmed. And so they retraced their steps. We know it was a full day's journey back to Jerusalem. And I wonder if they traveled through the night, and if they didn't, I can't imagine they got much sleep anyway. These were incredibly anxious moments, and we can hear that tension in Mary's voice as they finally find Jesus in the temple. Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. I'm sure quite an understatement after three days. And you can hear a mother's natural mix of, of concern and, and fear, anxiety, relief in finding him, but anger that she'd gone through all of this. Now, I'm sure we don't have the whole dialogue here. I'm sure there was more that was said. So maybe Mary did lead with, oh, son, I'm so glad you're okay. But that's not what we have. Instead, Mary just seems pretty ticked as she lays into him. But we know that that's what happens. We know in moments where anxiety grabs us, we just want it to end and we feel really uncomfortable that someone has put us in that situation. It's natural to feel upset when we feel like we've been placed in a predicament not of our own making. And so it's usually our emotion rather than our reason that, that bleeds out in these moments and that's clearly what's happening with Mary. But I'm sure behind the, uh, the anger and the scolding, Mary and Joseph were incredibly relieved to finally discover Jesus. Luke tells us that in addition to being relieved, they were astonished at finding Jesus there and to see what he was up to. And then they were perplexed by what Jesus told them. Because if we don't hear Mary say, oh Jesus, I'm so glad you're okay, we also don't hear Jesus apologize for any grief or anxiety that he's caused his parents, which is actually significant because the word that, that Mary uses to describe their anxious search is a word that's typically used to include a profound amount of pain and suffering. She's telling Jesus, you've, you've torn our hearts out. What are you thinking? Now, we don't know for sure the tone in Jesus' voice as he answers, but he does sound rather matter-of-fact as he responds to his mother. Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? It's as if Jesus is saying that if, if there's any pain or anxiety or grief that his parents are experiencing, well, that's on them. They should have known better. Didn't you know where I'd be? Why the need for this big, exhaustive search? Now, we don't know if Jesus is honestly dumbfounded that his parents didn't know where he was, or maybe he's trying to gently teach them. Maybe he's at least somewhat exasperated for their lack of understanding. But it's hard not to hear a, a bit of what we might call typical teen attitude here, as uh, he responds to his parents' scolding by basically saying, come on, what's the big deal? And Luke tells us that upon hearing Jesus answer that they did not understand what he was saying to them, which is so interesting. And it's actually encouraging to me because I feel like there are a lot of times I don't understand what Jesus is saying to me. He'll say something, I'll read something in scripture, I'll see how he teaches or responds, 
And I just wonder, what is Jesus up to? What exactly does he mean? And so the fact that the two people who at that point in Jesus' life knew him way better than anyone else in the world didn't understand what Jesus was saying to them gives me some hope, gives me some encouragement. So I'm encouraged, but then in the next moment, I also wonder. I wonder why they didn't understand Jesus and what exactly did they not understand? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house, Jesus says to them. Now, I'm sure Mary and Joseph understood which father Jesus was talking about in this moment. They knew that he, he was in the temple referring to his heavenly father, God himself, as the father of this house. And we know that Jesus had brothers and sisters, so maybe his parents were so used to having at least one child they could count on to stay out of trouble that they just didn't understand why Jesus suddenly exhibited this independent streak. Why now? Why did he wander off on his own and say that he had to be in that moment in his father's house? To him, apparently, it was completely obvious. And as Jesus found himself where he knew he needed to be, Luke tells us what he did there. He listened, he asked questions, he was asked questions of these seasoned religious teachers, these adults, these rabbis who would spend hours in the temple dissecting and discussing the Hebrew scriptures, searching for contextual clues, looking for fresh insights, trying to apply relevant things to their lives. These, would, these were people who would reason and argue and debate hours on end about the meaning of the scriptures. So they knew the scriptures well. And there were people to whom the scriptures mattered deeply. And we're told that as Jesus listened to them, he asked questions, and then people were amazed at his understanding and his own answers. Now, I'm sure a big part of this amazement had to do with, with Jesus' age. He just shows up as a 12-year-old boy and seems to possess this, this depth of knowledge this level of understanding that people had probably never seen in a 12-year-old before. But this goes beyond Jesus just scoring an A-plus and some sort of Bible memory test. This has to do with Jesus having a deep understanding, not just of scriptural knowledge, but the heart of God himself. He exhibits a profoundness of understanding as people start asking him questions about scripture. One Bible commentator notes that uh, it's likely that in order to generate this kind of uh, amazed response out of these seasoned biblical scholars, it's very likely that Jesus in that moment was actually deducing things from scripture, pointing out possibilities that they had never even considered. And this from a 12-year-old boy. Jesus was interacting with them at, at a level of high academy as they engaged in what were called mid, midrashic discussions of the Hebrew scriptures. This was Bible study 403, at least. And so we're given this one snapshot, this one vignette of Jesus as a tween. And so I want us to consider what is it we can learn? What can we take away from Jesus in this moment and from his parents? 
First, I believe we can learn from Jesus that, that to be a child of God means we're called to stay close to the heart of God. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? As Jesus was growing into his understanding, his self-awareness as the very son of God, as he prepared to take his place as a young adult in the faith community, as a son of the covenant, Jesus understood the gift and the responsibility of paying close attention to the word of God, digging deep into the scriptures and applying it to his life. And so he wondered, well, why would I head back to Nazareth when there are things to learn from the heart and word of God, when there are questions to ask and things to be considered about what God's word means in our lives? Jesus would later teach from God's word that people aren't meant to live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from God. Jesus would one day tell his disciples that part of his daily diet was to do the will of God. It's how he was sustained. And at age 12, Jesus is beginning to live into and to model these very priorities and rhythms to stay close to God's heart and to attend to his word. I think we also learn from Jesus that even as we depend on God and grow in our devotion to him, it doesn't mean we're to pay no attention to our responsibilities in our relationships. This episode in Jerusalem, I'm sure, seemed to come out of nowhere for his parents. But afterward, we're told that Jesus went back to Nazareth with them, where he was obedient to them. And I'm sure his parents were saying, okay, this is more like it. This is what we're more familiar with. The next 18 years in Jesus' life are, are a blank. They're a mystery. Apparently, sometime during that period, Joseph, Jesus' father, died, and Jesus stepped into the family trade as a carpenter. Jesus, at some point, obviously later grew into an identity of an itinerant rabbi, a teacher of God's word himself. So all we're told in the meantime is that Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and with people. Jesus was growing in faith, and he was deepening his solidity as a person of faith and faithfulness. Every day was an opportunity to prove himself obedient to God and faithful to his neighbors. And then finally we learn from Mary. We learn from Mary, who seemed to be going through a lot in this episode. We learn from her to stay attentive and to pay attention to what God is up to. Yes, Mary was quite reactive when she first encountered Jesus in the temple. But Luke makes sure to tell us that later, she was more reflective. For at least the third time in Luke's gospel, we hear that Mary paused and treasured these things up in her heart. She pondered them. She had once again been given a surprise. First, there was Gabriel, who had given her the, the shocking news of an upcoming pregnancy. And then the shepherds astounded her with the things that they told her about what they'd heard from the angel in their fields. And then Magi came and worshipped their child and called him the king of the Jews. Simeon and Anna reminded Mary and everyone around them that there was so much more to this child than met the eye. And every time along the way, we're told that Mary pondered. 
She treasured these things up in her heart. So my prayer for us in this new year is that we would be people who commit more than ever to stay close to the heart of God. To stay close and to to listen, to cling to the heart of God as it's revealed to us through God's word. I pray that we'd be people who more deeply long to be in God's presence and to linger less hurriedly when we're there. I pray that our time in God's presence would would impact us, would make a difference, it would shape us to be people of growing faithfulness, that they would, we would fulfill our responsibilities <coughs> excuse me, more faithfully. We'd seize opportunities to stay close to Jesus, to learn from him, and then to bless the people around us. We pray that we'd be people who take time to pause, to notice what God is up to in us and around us. Take time to breathe in the things of God, to ponder, to consider, and to treasure what God is up to and how deeply God loves us. I invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love that you have shown us through your son, Jesus. Thank you for your word that gives us glimpses of Jesus as an infant, as a toddler, and as a tween. Thank you for scenes of Jesus as someone somehow both fully divine and fully human. And Jesus, our Messiah, son of Mary and Joseph and son of God, we ask that you would teach us in this new year, that you would lead us and inspire us and guide us. Jesus, we want to learn from you. We long to be like you. And so we ask that you send your spirit so that that might be so. Amen.